power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Technica podcast feed. Alright guys, welcome back to the Agora Podcast. It's me, Penguin, here with uh, Sekmagora, and we have um, some special guests. It's another Into the Void, um, so I'm sure you're pretty used to that. If you're a listener to our show, could be your first time. It'd be a um, special edition, though, for our Into the Void series. We have Brian and Ellen Sovereign here uh, joining us for... Um, another one, I guess we can call this the 11th Void, or maybe it's a special edition. I don't know. Um, but uh, how are you guys doing today? Good. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's always great to have a, yeah. have a lady join, you know, instead of the, the usual sausage fest we engage in here <laughs> on Into the Void. <laughs> so, I'm pretty um, good at breaking those. I figured yeah, we'd yeah, bring true. on the brains of the operation, Brian. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, like <laughs> everything I say is all scripted by Ellen. It's not... <laughs> You're I just an hired no, muscle, right? Yeah, exactly. I have no independent thought whatsoever. Wow, we're really lifting the veil here. Yeah, <laughs> truth out. So yeah, yeah. She's the 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 woman behind the curtain, as they say. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> as the creative director of Sovereign Technica, I accept. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, hey, before we get going, um, I had the pleasure of um. Uh, an author uh, who's a fan of the show is a science fiction writer. And I just wanted to give them a shout out because they, they sent me a couple of books and I have not read them, broke into them yet, but they look pretty interesting. And the author is Jason Z Christie. Brian, have you ever heard of him? I, I feel ashamed that I have not uh, okay. just because I'm, I'm such a diehard science fiction. Actually, I'm a walking science fiction encyclopedia really but uh that's awesome okay tell us more they're relatively new i think this was written in 2018 oh, okay okay um so this series is called perfection labs and he sent me the first two books and i'm looking at the second book right now and it's basically like uh the the premise is what if the messiah came and didn't actually give a damn about humanity <laughs> So it, what does it he want for, then? What's uh, yeah, I don't know. He just hangs out, I guess. I have no idea, but <laughs> just chilling. Um I'll read let me just read you the back. It says, What yeah. if the Messiah didn't give a damn? Alien game designer Prail thought making a little brother for herself would be a good idea for some reason. Her equal, someone she could trust. Instead, she got Pex sent to Earth to overthrow it as a game. He's nothing but trouble. Instead of religion and politics, he pursues cigarettes and fish sandwiches, pop culture, and poetic justice. <laughs> wow. I'm totally in. I think this is going to be a good book. But, um, yeah, no, shout out to Jason Christie. I'm, uh, I, I, have, I haven't had time to read them yet, but I will make time this winter. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check those out. Uh, that kind of reminds me of like the Jungian concept that Jesus didn't die for our sins. He died for God's. And I, <laughs> I love that. Always a good twist on the Messiah. I, I can get behind that. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like, uh, sort you know, alternative history and stuff mm -hmm. like that coming into the future. You know, that's, you guys were talking about Stargate the other day and that's kind of like the pinnacle of that with like, it's an alternative 
ancient aliens kind of history, but in the modern day with all the, you know, tech and space right. travel and stuff like that. So that's that's my jam. Right on. Um oh so yeah, Ellen, welcome uh to Into the Void. Uh you are Thanks for having me. The first guest that we've had on Into the Void, uh unless you count Brian. But Brian Well, I always of... count Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's it's always kind of been the three of us, and and I, I've even teased this on my show lately. It's like, yeah, you know, maybe we should bring some other voices into these wild conversations that we get into when we get into the weird and all of this. And uh, I mean, the, the the funny thing is, I think Ellen, you know, of course, is my wife for one, but for two, uh, I, I think she's smarter than all of us combined, and uh, <laughs> and she also, uh, you know, has has if, if credentials matter, and there's debate on that. If credentials matter, she actually has credentials unlike us. So, which yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about salt. yourself? Take it with a grain of salt. Right, but I mean, you know, you you are a genuinely brilliant woman. Why don't you? Do you want to give a little quick background, just in case someone doesn't know who you are? Oh sure. yeah, Brian, you're like good at this stuff. Yeah, you should probably introduce yourself for anybody that doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all right. I just kind of assumed everybody knows, but that's bad. All right. Well, well, we're, we'll give her a moment to, to hop on the pedestal here. No, so go for a, it. Also, not her first time on the show. That's true. I have been on this show in the past. I think it was oh, a that's whole right. panel that we did with like eight other people. About yeah, the food, food. panel. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was phenomenal. Yeah. And you were great. That was dynamite from start to finish. That yes. panel. We did. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Was awesome. Evergreen episode to go back and listen to for sure. Um, yeah. So, but, but why don't you go ahead and give just a brief introduction? Okay. Um, well, I'm Ellen Sovereign, the creative director of Sovereign Technica, as I mentioned before. Um, you know, I publish all of Brian's newsletters. I help edit his stuff, whatever he puts out. Um, sometimes I co-host on Sovereign Technica. Um, besides that, as far as like my educational background, um, I have degrees in bioengineering and chemical engineering. Um, and I currently work as an engineer at a I don't know if I want to say, but yeah, well, um, at a very large uh, medical. Yeah, company. it's yes. it's a it's a place where I get to work in cell and gene therapeutics. Right. So it's very exciting. Yeah. And I always learn something new every day. Real change the world stuff, though. Yeah. Genuinely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And also politically, you align as in. Um, well, nothing, actually. <laughs> yes, right I don't align with anyone politically. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I kind of just stand on my You're here. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you describe yourself as an anarchist, yes? Sure, yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. I more so believe in anarchy than any other political system. Right, right. The anti-system. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, so anything else you want to get out there or? Um. I'm excited for the future of Sovereign Technica. I oh, know yeah. You are currently working on a couple of things. I don't know if we should break the news, but it's, you know, a lot to look forward to. Yeah, well, we'll let it settle just for now. And, but I like the tease. I like the tease. <laughs> and and you're, you're, one, you're in rare company of knowing what goes on behind the scenes at my own show, which, of course, everybody can check out. Uh, just go to nwo.red. I always love getting to toss that one out there because that freaks everybody out. Every time I hop on here, I'm like, uh, hello, humans. But it occurred to me that it's like I'm 80% sure Brian's a reptile. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I mean, he wears glasses all the time, so I don't think you can see the 
you know, the lids blink sideways. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, my yeah. nictitating membrane. I mean, if I had right. a nictitating membrane, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Well, <laughs> what was your old one? It was like Zog dot what ninja? Zog dot ninja. Yeah, yeah. All, that was hilarious too. So yeah, all of those still work. Uh, so yeah, people are welcome to find me any way they want. Um, that's still my favorite one, actually. Is Zog dot ninja. <laughs> I remember hearing the uh, one of the you you did that conspiracy with uh, Bert Van Ert, that whole conspiracy. Oh yeah, conspiracy. yeah, conspiracy. Yes. And then at the end, you're like, you can find me at Zog. Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of that whole thing. This is awesome. <laughs> oh man, I, yeah, I've been playing the long game on this one for sure. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, so anyway, okay, let's. Uh, more serious business um <laughs> sorry i've i've had a lot of caffeine um same so i've been digging you guys doing the um sovereign tech x shows oh, yeah thank you it's been Which, a lot of fun yeah no you guys get you guys go deep it's good um i really did i've been listening to that and i enjoy that as well because you guys get into the weird a little bit there too occasionally um, occasionally yeah and but you get into some deeper topics and that and um you know part of the reason i was going to have or i suggested we have you on alan is uh the two of you had talked about some uh topics that i i thought might be uh useful to expand upon on a into the void essentially x is like uh, uh you know it's similar to into the void, except you keep things a slightly more grounded and we get a bit crazy. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Putting, putting the X at the end is just an excuse to talk about whatever, you know, we want. Right. 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 Um, but yeah, we, we don't get as uh we, we don't jump as far off uh, uh, or jump the shark as much as we do here. So. Yeah. I don't think we have discussed anything that's really like supernatural or esoteric or hinted you know, at mind bending. Yeah, yeah. We have hinted, but yeah, Never... but you guys really go the whole distance. Yeah. We, we, we like it. We like it here. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, we, we are comfortable in the void, you know? So, <laughs> um, well, so I, I really wanted to delve into, psychedelics and the cia but let's hold if you guys don't mind let's let's hold off on that for a second because uh i wanted to talk about something that might be related and i i don't know how to really explain this but you you both would consider yourself uh sort of what they might call green anarchists yeah yeah, I'd run with that. Green as in like ecologically conscious and yes. aware and respectful of the environment, that kind yes. of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you both are, uh, um, let's say, uh, spiritual in some sense, or is that fair to say? Yeah, I'm, I'm a yes. coddler straight up. And mm -hmm. uh -huh. yeah. I think that's fair to say. Okay. So. It seems to me, and, and we might have talked about this before, I don't know. My memory is gone. But um, it seems like now is the time for some reason that both spirituality and sort of getting back to nature are, I don't know, useful as a, not only as like just a good thing to do for your own personal uh 
you know, personal growth and that sort of thing, but also like a useful strategy for the liberation of humans. Um, and I, this might've less been less of the case in years past. And it seems more crucial now, at least to me. So you two were uh, probably slightly more articulate than I am. Do, do you agree? And if so, I don't have any other reason for thinking this other than it just feels right. So I don't have any kind of like logical argument to back this up. It just seems to be the case. And I don't think I'm the only one that thinks this way. And what if you agree, like why now or why is this seem to be coming more to the front in recent years as opposed to um and years past it not being sort of a, a priority um go ahead i'll let you guys answer yeah do you want to go yeah, you go first Brian. me okay yeah um so i think you're right uh and i think you know in, in ways that what well, few ways we have for any kind of objective uh truth um i think you can prove that it's actually happening uh you know i i listen to you know as a podcaster for you know over a decade um, obviously, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts as part of my craft for many years. And one of the things I've been noticing recently is so many podcasts uh, from people who were either, say, more into like the more direct Western health space, I guess you could say, as well as technologists. Um, just in the past year, like they've really come out. And I mean, I could name a lot of names, but they've really started come out, coming out with this statement that no you know magic has to come back um magic needs to be a thing again and now their reasons they're they're you know they have varying reasons around all this but it's just to just to point out that this uh gestalt is certainly it, it's real i think um my thinking on it and certainly it's part of the reason that i've become far more open about uh you know my practicing of kabbalah is uh i think we counted you know, considering the remarkable changes and advances that happened in the 20th century, particularly, um, I think a lot of people uh, expected this continued upward climb of progress due to science and technology and medicine. Um, and now that we're in, you know, at this point of this recording, 2023, um, you know, we haven't, well, while the standard of living has gone up, the quality of life has not. And I think a lot of people have come to kind of a, a well, really a stone cold realization um, that technology isn't uh, a solves all. Um, that medicine, you know, modern medicine, Western medicine may not be a solves all. It may not have all the answers. Um, yeah, I, I think there, there's, and, and also as globalization kind of, you know, came, came to much more of a reality, um, I think a lot of people also feel a lack of, of genuine connection with each other. And so there's this pull back to having smaller communities. And this has happened before, you know, the back to the land movement, right? Like Mother Earth News and all that, that all happened back in the 60s. Uh, and people were, were going back to the land at that point. And I think that was largely a response to a lot of, ironically it was also a response to computers then and computers then were nothing like they are now but you know to this to this automation to this lack of connection with other human beings um and and again i i think that 
that that's where spirituality comes in as well. It's like, no, technology isn't solving this. In fact, if anything, it's making things worse in its present implementation. And, you know, what is something that, that exists higher than scientific understanding and technological implementation and perhaps even medicine? And I think a lot of people look at spirituality. Now, fortunately, I don't see them really. I mean, there is a there's somewhat of a push to going to a more conservative Christianity type of religion, um, which I think is unfortunate. But by and large, it's people, you know, really taking what works for them and, you know, packaging it together into a real individual spiritual practice um, today. So so that that's I, I think this is, again, it's really a response to modernity and that modernity isn't solving things the way we expected in science fiction. It's actually perhaps making things worse. So that's my response. Uh, Ellen, do you, do you want to take anything on that? Yeah, I think everything that you said, you know, really resounds with what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. So um, my answer is not going to be too different. I think that, you know, for, throughout human history, spirituality was maybe one of the few ways that humans had to achieve sort of an ecstatic experience um, and certainly like reflecting on their inner worlds. There's a lot of, you know, mystery there that isn't in the real world, like in the physical world. Um, when industrialization happened, uh, you know, now we're in unexplored territory with all of this technology, interconnectedness, um, you know, things that humans have never experienced before. So, um, I think a lot of people got caught up in this, the cycle of capitalism where, you know, people were sold this idea that they'll be happy as long as they continue buying into the system. And like, you know, we're 200 years into that, I think at this point, and there's not a lot to show for it. I mean, like, yes, we have built up these great cities and we have all this cool stuff, but like Brian said, you know, quality of life isn't like that much better. Like the experience that people have, I think they're starting to realize that, um, you know, materialism is like spiritually and emotionally void. So it's not providing them with the, the joys and the pleasures that they are really seeking that everyone looks for in life. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like there's kind of this resurgent at resurgence at the moment for spiritualism or spirituality because it's reactionary to to you know the capitalist world that we live in what do you think about the like the ecological aspect like why why is that you know hit a seem to hit a fever pitch as late well probably because we're trashing the planet <laughs> <laughs> and it's observable now yeah and and there's plenty of scientists speaking out about global warming and the coming floods and droughts and wildfires and all of these things that are happening because of human action. And, you know, part of that is like, we have to give up materialism in order to allow the planet to heal. Like mm -hmm. there's just no getting around that. Like we have to stop industry as it is. Um, and I think maybe that's part of why people want to return back to the land. Um, like another part of it is just getting out of the rat race. I mean, Nobody loves this nine to five Monday through Friday cycle. Yeah, no. It's driving everyone a little crazy. Right. Um, you know, just feeling like we never have time for ourselves. We don't have time to like just sit and be in our own heads. Um, so being in nature is one of the few ways to to really do that, to like be in an active meditative state. 
Um, so I, I think that's part of it too. Sure. Zach, what do you got? Or Penguin? Go for it. Yeah. Um, first of all, what you said, again, I want to echo what Ellen said. You, you, you really put it really well right there. I mean, I have very strong like differences, as anybody would understand, with um, sort of the idea of, uh, of religion and also the idea of like materialism to an extent. Like I, it, it really depends on what you mean. But when it comes to the idea that the idea that we did progress to technology, what we call technology, technical progress and everything was going to be the solution for everything. I mean, I, like I said, I say this a lot. We have to put everything in a context um, historically that there was a swath of history, like recent history past um, industrial revolution, post-industrial revolution, like so uh, second half of the 19th century first half of the 20th century i mean going on actually through through to into the late 20th century where there was uh technical progress being made at the rate and uh modern modernization industrialization and stuff transformation so that transformation at the rate where i think for a period of time i mean it's it's, it's what we really do call a revolution where it, it did seem like at this rate and at this scale, like that was what's going to happen. If you look at futurism from that period of time, they really thought that, it, you know, they really thought the Jetsons was going to be real or people would be flying around and um, flying, you know, the, the, the stereotype of flying cars versus how technology actually, it's, it's interesting to see how, te- what, what un, what technology they would not even be able to consider like the workings of and the ramifications of that we do have now that's probably way more transformative than a flying car would be um which is basically like a type of airplane but the, would they even consider what a smartphone is or does or like the entire network of everybody having a smartphone and having all of these apps that do pretty much an infinite combination of things um and I, I i honestly don't think they could even if they could understand even if some people could talk you know envision the basics of it to actually being able to um comprehend the implications of having this like global network of everybody being i mean we we're not even able to wrap our minds about what this this truly means but um yeah, the way things there was a period of time where I think it really did almost makes yeah it made, made sense to basically see the trajectory of history just going to be nonstop technical development, technological development, and it certainly is with some mind blowing technology being developed right now, but it's not at this revolutionary scale, and so going forward we're going to still see the develop development of new technology, but it's 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 not. It's not doing what it actually, I think there was a period of time where it actually was, um, and, and still we're still on the tail end of that, where it was, all, all, if you look on a global scale in all parts of the world, maybe in some of the less developed parts of the world, where it was just transforming people's quality of life rapidly upwards. And it's hard because it's, it's several generations ago where a lot of that changed um, in the United States, and it was still relatively wealthy before then. But we've really eliminated you know we've 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 te- eliminated global um like destitute poverty and subsistence farming is is starting to being transformed and some of the 
lowest quality of life situations as education is is being extended to basically every place on earth interconnectivity telecommunications you know and um like i said this kind of abject poverty is being slowly eliminated and people are being integrated into the global kind of consumerist world i mean which you know could have its negative implications on our end where it's very mature but i mean it's certainly a you know and i i say this about a lot of things historically certainly a massive improvement for the people with the lowest end of the global scale um but where we are um we're not rapidly transforming our lifestyles at that pace that that techno technological development isn't bringing isn't raising our standard of lives it's it's stagnating i don't think necessarily it's on that declining i mean we're, we're very comfortable well-fed well air-conditioned but our quality of life is very much stagnating and and in in many respects getting worse our psychological health spiritual health and everything is getting worse and so the answer not being technology uh makes us look in all sorts of directions and, and i mean all sorts of directions i mean what what what's considered what's considered a, a a spiritual spirituality or spiritual response or religion should be viewed very very broadly it doesn't have to be theological or mystical or anything like that um but many people are looking uh in, you know in in that direction and everything and i really i have no problem what direction people kind of go into i mean i have my obviously what I think is the correct answer for my professed faith. But beyond that, like, you know, it's very interesting to see that people are intuitively grasping that the, the, the technological progress and sort of not just material technology, but social technology, sort of uh, kind of a progressive politic isn't going to, at the end of the day, it, it just doesn't have the ingredients to necessarily and continue that progressive uh view of history that this this steady rising line of history that there there's much more to uh human existence and i think we've like i said we've just begun accustomed over the course of several generations to have that that technologically led progress um and we're somewhat but not totally disconnected from other means because obviously you know there's been plenty of back to the land and all sorts of spiritual rival movements um, interspersed here and there. Penguin comes in with a banger again. Um, As well usual. Said, yeah. 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 <clears throat> um, I, I agree mostly with what everyone said, but let me sort of lay something out here um, that might add to what everybody's been saying. And, and then I have a question. Um, so Penguin, you're right. The industrialization, industrial society, and you know, uh, modernity, civilization—call it what you like—absolutely uh, improved the the standard of living for most of the uh, most of the people in the world, and allowed basic uh, allowed like the poor to, you know, gain luxury goods and 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 required less labor to provide for their basic needs and all of these sorts of things and sure and i think at some point the sort of unspoken trade-off was that you know you put your 40 hours in at a job you hate for 40 years and then you you know you have have a good living and you 
traded off a great deal of f- um, freedom and autonomy, I think, um, that that people previously had. Even They may not have had the same material goods that we have now, but they had a, a, a different sort of freedom than we have now. So you, you, they traded that off to go work in the factories and the offices, and they did that for material comfort, which I'm not downplaying that that uh, that that made a, a whole lot of people's lives better than they were before. But eventually, uh, and and you could provide for you know yourself and your family and have a decent living doing that. However, and you could call this the. Um, just the progression of capitalism or the uh, um, it, it could be due to the predatory class. It could, this could be the nature of industrialization. I don't really have an answer for that. But eventually that material compensation became less and less and less. So you're so now we're at a point where we have microplastics in our blood and you're working just to make enough money to put gas in your car to go to work the following day. And yeah. you hate your life and all the the stuff you buy is worse than the year before and now you still don't have that spiritual uh, or uh connection or you don't have the connection with community you don't have the freedom that you traded off or somebody traded off generations ago but you still have to work in these shitty factories or you know it's offices now nobody works in a fucking factory anymore um under fluorescent tubes and and just eating away at your soul for 40 years and you could barely have anything to show for it. So I think the, the part of the reason we might be seeing like, I don't know, a surge and, uh, and reaching out for something, but beyond materialism is because we're not being, uh, people are not being compensated materially as that maybe they once were in say a couple decades, three decades before when, you know, at least they could say, well, I never saw my kids grow up. I, I wasted my life in the factory, but at least we have a house and a and a and two cars and and the and whatever, and my kids can go to a good school. Do you know what I mean? Where now yeah. you don't even you don't even get that now. You just you work enough to go to work the next day, and that's it for most people. And everyone fucking hates it, and no one's happy. So I guess I'll I'll wrap this up with like a question. So. I've dab- I've dabbled in reading uh, Jacques Ellul. Do you, are either of you familiar with Jacques Ellul? I am. No. Yes. Listen, listen oh, to his podcast. Yeah. So um, Jacques Ellul was like um, uh, Ted, who could Ted Kaczynski drew a lot from. Mm-hmm. So he makes the argument that this is actually the nature of industrialization. It can't go any other way. So the the nature of industrialization is essentially a, a constant strive for efficiency above all else. So I like efficiency mainly because I it it allows me to labor less for the same result. But what industrialization is, it's efficiency for mainly to be the, the, for the sake of efficiency or profit and th- that sort of thing. So technological advancement and industrialization will always lead to this point where society is just working to be more efficient to <laughs> to work. You know, you become a cog in the machine, essentially, and it can't 
it can't go any other way. Um, so do we think that this is like the natural end result of civilization and, and industrialization? Or do we think that maybe under different circumstances, this could have gone another way? Can we have technological advancement and some form of industrialization, but still retain some sense of our own dignity and spirituality and um, deeper meaning, you know, to life and happiness and do, you know, um, and, and it, you know, I don't want to get into anti-work too much, but people doing what they want to do or what makes them happy and still maintaining their subsistence, you know, um, is that possible or is this the, is this just a natural progression of these things? Mm-hmm. Well, well, I think that uh, first of all, I just want to say in regards to the past um, few generations in, in the United States, particular, like we did get used to a certain rising uh, productivity, rising lifestyle and everything just because like the rest of the world, you know, they say like the rest of the world's industrial capacity was bombed out after World War Two. So it's like you're in that position. And obviously, the U.S. is going to be top dog economically. So, you know, it's kind of sad that like i mean it's obviously we ended up with this great uh quality of life and lifestyle and american dream and everything but you gotta know it's fleeting and you don't nobody wants to give it up but like it's one of those things like the world is not going to remain completely destroyed or undeveloped forever and that you cannot that position of like economic king of the hill is, is is going to go away but like you can have obviously continue rising standards of living and maybe a certain very beneficial technical development going on um, that kind of lowers certain costs and helps us, helps us have a bit more fulfilling lives. But I think I, more broadly than that, I think, yeah, like to kind of going to what you were talking about that we can continue to have, uh, we should continue to have a certain sort of progress and development. We could, or we should, desire or maybe even innately desire a certain kind of continued progress um when you see like those graphs you know people point out the rise the continuing rising productivity of the u.s worker versus compensation and then you get inflation and 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 sometimes very high inflation even even eating away at that so that actual purchasing power is just so much lower we're getting poorer and having we're getting poorer and poorer basically and less compensated every year um on average but you know people should want a continuing development where we have where we can continue to be wealthier in the sense that we're 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 able to purchase more things or have more free time or have you know exactly exactly have less of a for example eliminate using technology to eliminate commutes to have more time to do any number of things including being with your family being you know the the, the work from home um, being integrated, you know, not just in the middle of a p- pandemic, obviously, but all sorts of things that could increase our our leisure time and increase our, you know, mobility or like a, a ability to manage our li- our lives logistically or our families or everything or things that can that can legitimately help us um, in a way that's not just a straight line material progress um, that we, we can work less hours and, and, and still have a rising standard of living and a more fulfilling lives and everything. And I think like progress of technology could, in fact, I mean, the, the, the possibility exists of it 
being being there to do that for those things to happen like the technology exists the resources you know theoretically exist but people are demanding it and they don't know how to necessarily achieve it i guess there's some i think there's an hate innate desire that people are demanding it but how do we achieve that in the paradigm that we are i don't have an answer to that yeah uh ellen do you want to add anything in or i can go first or um I guess I'll go first. That's fine. Okay. Um, so just listening to what Sack and Penguin said, um, I think that like in the current paradigm that we live in, I don't know that there is an option for people to like continue working as they are and to become more spiritual. And it, like, it, it just feels kind of mutually exclusive in a sense. Like if, if we wanted to, um, you know, reset our society in a sense, I think that would be really helpful in that regard. Like if, um, if we were able in some sense to only work on the things that we really wanted to, to make a, the, like passion projects. Um, or if, for example, we all took turns working in like the, the town factory for like 10 hours a week, because we knew that it would be helpful for our community. Um, you know, that kind of, I feel like that would make people happy. I don't know that there's a way that we can continue existing in this capitalist world where, um, you know, the strong take advantage of the weak and the rich are always getting richer, but they're not like helping out those that are struggling beneath them. Um, I think it's going to take an entire mindset and philosophy shift. Uh, and I think maybe that is going to be one of the benefits of the um if you want to call it like the spiritual awakening the revolution that's happening um just that people start to recognize the humanity in everyone around them and that there is you know value in supporting those around you and there's value in protecting life and you know people being more generous and kind and and acting with their hearts first and not necessarily with profit motive because that's what the world is geared towards now like the economy completely runs on like you said sec efficiency and who doesn't love efficiency i do um, yeah, you're an engineer <laughs> <laughs> right but i think there comes a point um and there has we have surpassed the point where uh industry is efficient to this extent that it no longer considers the health and happiness of its workers, except where it's forced to. Like, OSHA exists because people wouldn't go to work unless they had certain promises that they would go home from work in the same state of health as when they went in. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's just something that, that businesses kind of have to kowtow to, you know, like if if they were allowed, like they were before OSHA existed, you know, working conditions would be really unsafe. And that's just for efficiency's sake, you know, just to make more money. Um, and I think that there is no real incentive for industry as it is to care about its workers and to make people happier. So that's why I'm saying I think there has to be like an entire shift in in philosophy and mindset of of everyone to really like reset the way industry is if it's going to continue to exist at all in the future yeah yeah i want to play off a couple of things you said there ellen uh as well in that like the rich get richer 
you know, here's the thing, like, is there something wrong with making money? No, there's nothing wrong with making money. Um, I think one of the issues here is you rich people, you, there's this belief in capitalism that, well, the money filters down, right? Like the richer person and they get richer means they hire more people. This is not true. Like, and also the rich person doesn't really put their generally, especially like, you know, kind of the top 1% or 0.01%. They don't really put their money back into the community. Right. Like, no, they hang on to it. No, right. Right. And it's not like, and, and I'm not arguing necessarily for communism or anything here before anybody thinks that, but I'm just, this is the reality is that, you know, when you make money, Ellen say, you still go to, I don't know, cutting crew to get your hair cut, right? And, <laughs> or, you know, or you go to the grocery store and get your groceries, you know, the local grocery store or whatever. You know, the money goes almost directly back. Wait, that 80s world. band cuts hair? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just died in your arms tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go was ahead. that Mr. Mister? Yeah. Anyway, that's great. Yeah. Um, so, but, but that's the thing is that the money that the rich keep getting richer with, or, you know, that they keep accumulating, like it doesn't actually go back into the system in any real meaningful way. And the argument would be that, oh, no, it does. They hire people and they do this. But that leads to another thing. Do you want to say something? On I just wanted to say often rich people are also playing the system to their favor yeah. so that, you know, the rules lean more towards in their favor for keeping their money and for hiding it away. Oh, no. Yeah. Look, the rich all around the world, they're all socialists. Every fucking one of them. They're socialists. They're not they're not capitalists. It's capitalist for us. It's socialism for them. I mean, that, that straight up. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, even Rothbard said uh, you would not be able to find a billionaire today that <clears throat> did not acquire their wealth through the political means. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so to continue on with the point is, OK, we've created more efficiency. Right. More efficiency, more efficiency in the workplace. Um, I mean, Ellen, you probably, as an engineer, you're encountering a lot of this stuff firsthand, you know, when like a new system comes in that makes things easier or whatever. And, but here's the funny thing, right? Is you still have to work eight hours a day. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. Now, all this efficiency and technological advancement should make you work, should, should allow you to work less. Or should give me a raise. Yeah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> or, yeah, see, there's lots of ways that this could go. For example, you know, like there's this big push, and I encountered this recently working with another company where, you know, they they went to a four-day work week, right, which you think is an improvement. I mean, and it's so funny because the eight-hour work week or, I mean, the eight-hour work day, you know, this is something first off created by anarchists, by the way, in Britain. Um, but it sort of stopped there. And never went for and, and and it's never evolved. Like and now it's it's been the forty hour work week so long that most people just think it's it's like nature, you know, it's like a law of the universe or something. When there's no need for that. Anyway, I went to work for a company, and Ellen, you you know how 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 much hell this was for me, um, where they did a four day work week, and you think, oh, only working four days, that's great. I have three days off or something like this. The thing is, they don't want you to. It's not really less time. It's ten hours a day say, instead of eight hours a day, but that's wiping out those entire days because you got to sleep. And if you want to be healthy, you're going to go hit the gym and you got to do these things. It's actually not an improvement. The improvement would be that we would want and that you, we, I think a lot of people, including anarchists or like, especially ANCAPs would expect capitalism to get you to is that, no, it's a four day work week. You're even working less than eight hours on those days, but you're getting paid like people did 10 years ago for a 40 hour work week, 
right? So that's kind of a raise, like you said. Yeah, you know, sure. You're working less, but you're still making the same amount of money. That's what appeals to people about a four-day work week, not the notion of working grueling hours. Because at the same time, we have the same research, or we have we have uh, uh, consecutive research, I guess you could say, or parallel research that says, yeah, you you're lucky if you can get three good hours out of anybody, you know, to work in a day. Okay, so then that means we should only have to work three hours. But the problem, but the problem there is the asshats at the top think, well, then I'm only going to pay you for three hours. And it's like, no, 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 that's not how that works. Like, I can, I'll get the same work done for three hours, but you've, we've created this system where things cost such and so much. We've still got to make that amount of money. Like, we have to make the same amount of money as a forty-hour work week. But that's not how things, you know, ended up, right? Yeah, it's all very cutthroat. Like everybody right. knows that business is cutthroat, and right. and to stay in business, you have to make more money than your competitor. Right. Right. But like, why? Not only that, but you have to make more that? profit than last last quarter. Or your yes. shareholders are going to boot you. Yeah, yeah. Bingo. Yeah. So, yeah. Sec, you hit in another great point there, and that is, what does capitalism actually engender? It does not engender innovation, nor does it engender making the best. Capitalism simply is concerned with what's next. More growth, growth, right? More, more, more. It is not about giving you the best. One of the most important things that I could ever share on my own show is that we humans can innovate past perfection. No one wants to accept that. Everybody thinks, no, the next thing has to be better. That there is no logical reason why that should be true. And in fact, there's every reason, every incentive for it not to be. It's so, empirically. Incorrect. I think you covered that, didn't you? Yeah. You, know, I think, I think you covered that. One of you, I think it was you, uh, Brian. You covered that when you said kind of the that we're kind of living and we're trudging along in this existence where, mm-hmm. um, I mean, this is slightly different, but where like the, the every every year that the products are worse off, and every year that the, the, this yes, you know, you know things are, are are getting are getting worse. And one of the ways in which they get worse, I guess, is basically that we look back into the past and you had these very robust, you know, and we've discussed this, and there's there's a lot of stuff about like forced uh, uh, planned obsolescence and stuff like that. But even where it's not like obvious planned obsolescence, which I mean, it often is something along those lines. But even when when it's not, you you get this idea of like we have innovated past the point, um, and then it becomes almost. And you see, I think this a lot with uh, cars. I mean, there are there are some really good advances that that, that have happened more recently with cars. I mean, just in, in terms of safety. Um, but you you kind of get this idea that. That, that we can that, that's a really good example obviously because it's it's so much emphasis is put on on the new new models and new product design new year after year what's the next model going to look like um so that's a actually fantastic example where like it's just innovative innovating just to innovate and it's been like that actually for a long time if you look at the history of the automotive industry um that that it's just innovations, innovating for innovation's sake. And obviously you can look at certain classic vehicles and people think very, very fondly of those things. And it's kind of a cl- shame that there was that cash for clunkers whole, whole deal because like, uh, you know, there's plenty of, of different vehicles that have come out over the past 50 plus years that people think very, very fondly of. And there's a reason for that. Um, yeah. Unusually compared to any, most, most kind of like products because they had, they achieved a very high level of like, you know, maybe there's pros and cons, but like the, they achieved features and they achieved a product that was very desirable and long lasting in something that came out decades ago. Yeah. You hit people driving old, old vehicles. Right. Right. And, 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 and that keyword long lasting, I want to touch on that. 
And Ellen, this speaks to something you said as well. It's almost like people just feel it. They, there has to be this mind shift change and they feel it. I'm reminded, speaking of science fiction authors, again, uh, my, my, my dear uh, uh, lost friend, um, Harlan Ellison, he had a 42 Packard. This is a classic, classic car. And he would always talk about how when he would drive it down the street, even in California where, fuck, everybody's got Lamborghinis and all this other crap, right? And, 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 and I knew exactly what he was talking about when he, when he would see it. And he's like, the kids would just, whenever he'd stop somewhere, kids would just run up to his car. You know, granted, this was 20, 30 years ago, but even then, that's more important. It was, this was still 30 years ago. And his explanation was like, why were the kids so fascinated by his old Packard? And it's because everybody essentially recognizes there's just something in you that recognizes that something was built to last, that this was as good as it got, you know, and, and it's, it's something so much more special than what, than everything else that was on the road. So yeah, I, I think there, there are some like certain innate feelings we have, and, and this probably speaks to a larger thing as well that we're like Ellen was saying that we're, there's so much around us and we kind of all innately know it's all crap. Like it's all plastic garbage, you know, nonsense. Um, and we just keep accumulating more to try and we, we accumulate more plastic just to try and justify the existence of the initial bullshit that we bought in the first place. Um, but something else, you know, I want, I want to add in here as well. Uh, Cause I think for a good while throughout the 20th century, boy, it did seem like there was just going to be this consistent, like we talked about this consistent up, uphill or upward climb of technological progress and perhaps even social progress and so on. Uh, another major, I don't want to say it's a problem, but a, a problem, I'll call it a problem for the sake of the conversation that we have right now, is there is no Soviet Union. The U.S. does not have some kind of competitor where we want to make better, you know, and China's not even a competitor. In fact, China has better engineers than 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 the U.S. does, okay? Um, you know, the idea that somehow China is like backwater workers or something is, is nonsense now. But the point is there's no one for even the U.S. to want to compete against as far as making a better thing than. Um, and I think we're kind of losing out on that. Not that I argue for existing in a second Cold War of any kind. Um, I wouldn't dare do that. I'd rather live in the Stone Age than have a Cold War. Uh, but, you know, I think that that's something missing. And then the last two things I'm going to say on this, uh, and these are going to be like my kind of kind of middle of the road solutions on all the stuff, is that if we wanted to start solving this, and maybe like we talked about, maybe keep some of this, keep some of the the creature, the capitalist creature comforts, as I call it. The two things: one is all government workers should use public transportation. Private individuals can use whatever the fuck they want. But it's it's actually it seems like it's the opposite that the government is pushing for. The government wants private individuals all to have, uh, you know, not to own their own cars and, you know, and to use buses and, you know, and, and whatever public transportation. But I think public uh, 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 public workers, public employees, officials, they should all be using uh, uh, public transportation and everybody else, again, can do whatever they want. The other thing is that if the government came out yesterday and banned all advertising across the board, which, by the way, it did before the 1980s. And this is kind of an ironic thing for me to say, but I won't go into that irony. Um, but if they like banned all advertising, I think that would solve a lot of problems. Granted, it would create a bunch of others and a lot of people would lose their jobs for sure. But if we were, how do you keep 
you know, this level of technology, you have to stop selling the lifestyles that don't actually exist. And that's all that advertising does. So I'm an anarchist. I'm not arguing for actual government action. But if people wanted to hear some kind of like middle of the road solutions on all this right now, um, th those would be the ones that, that'd be the direction I'd be looking at. Who, who wants to who wants to break out the pitchforks? Oh, I'm, I'm taking away your anarchist card. right now. <laughs> We're ripping it up. Yeah. I got it right here. Gone. Shit. No, um, <laughs> no, I. So, I. So we were, my wife and I were with uh, one of the kids. We're playing Monopoly one time, and so it occurred to us that if you're not an asshole, that game doesn't actually end, and right. no one loses. Right. Which is the weirdest thing. So then. I started thinking like, well, that's sort of like um, a microcosm for the current problems. The only way you win at Monopoly is being cutthroat. But if everybody was is just fucking cool to each other, the game keeps going forever. It never ends. No one loses and everybody makes money. So, ha, <laughs> the you know, it's easy to, to think about these things in a, uh, or make these things happen in a board game. It, it's much harder to do in real life. But I think the answer is, and, and I know I, I quote Carl Hess quite, quite often, but it, it's, it's to gain ownership over production, again, to co completely reimagine mm -hmm. our relationship with production, to do distribute it to the farthest point possible at the most local level and just start doing that and start doing what you, whatever it is that you love and see what happens from there. I think you're right. It's going to take a huge shift and I don't necessarily think it needs to be philosophical, but I just think that people are at a point where they might, they might realize it serves their, you know, their self-interest to just find whatever it is that makes them happy and make a living doing that. And so like, I, I was just thinking about like as you guys were were talking, you know the the planned obsolescence, the the growth overall, the the theft and the the ever increasing profits for the you know call them whatever you like the capitalist class, the um, the predator class, and then you sort of coupled that with the collusion between the government and uh, the capitalist class to make everything like uh, artificially scarce and more expensive all the time, and it's like. If you start think looking around, it, it's like how how much cost and how much labor labor is this adding to us? How much more like uh, if if you didn't have all this wealth being extracted from uh, the the capitalists and you didn't have all this uh, you know directly, but also all this wealth being extracted f from us by making cheap shit and making it more expensive, mm -hmm. and then you you know you couple this with the you know the government protecting their holdings and allowing them to extract more and more rents and th this gives them the upper hand in terms of negotiating with the, the workers obviously it, all this starts adding up it's not hard to imagine if, if all this didn't exist we would have to work far far less to to just uh, acquire our basic needs and and that's sort yeah. of thing we would have so much more fucking leisure time I mean, if, if there's a utopia that exists, that that's it, man. You'd have so much more leisure time to, to pursue whatever it is you want. And I like Alan's idea of, like, you know, have the the town factories for certain things and everybody, 
you know, put uh, it direct what they call, they call that direct uh, production. No, production for direct consumption. You know, you everybody takes a turn at the factory to provide things that the, the community needs or whatever. And everybody gets, you know, gets the mutual benefit benefit for that. And but, you know, if all of these all these uh, wealth extractions were eliminated and we started producing things for ourselves I, I you know we would have so much more more time free time to pursue to like you said to to get in your own head to fucking to take a break and think about things for a second and i you know one thing i don't understand about the these listen i'm i'm what the marxists would call a petite bourgeois okay i i'm a small business owner I, i'm Woo. self-employed yeah I don't like working for a boss. I don't like doing that, but I have employed people before. And, you know, when, and maybe I'm an idiot, maybe I'm not cutthroat enough, or maybe I'm too nice of a fucking guy. I don't know. But when I do well, like say we're doing a job and you know, one of my helpers and we all hustle and we get this job done faster. We get this job done faster. That means I make more money, right? Every, and, and when I make more money, I'm like, hey, here, here's a nice chunk, you know, hell of a job today. You know, I'm doing good. You're doing good. Everybody's doing good. You know, we're all making money here, you know. It, so if, if things are going well for me, I take care of the people that are working for me because I know they hustled and I appreciate that. And, you know, forget about all the, the moral or ethical anything. If somebody's hustling, working for me. I want to make sure they stick around. So I, I give them a chunk. I, you know, I try to be a decent person and a decent boss and treat them how I want to be treated because they will have more, I don't know, respect for me. You know, they'll, they'll do it again in the future. You know, it's like if you take care of the people that take care of you, it's mutually beneficial. So I don't understand. And maybe I'm missing something here. Why even these capitalists wouldn't see this at, the same way as I do, even from a purely self-interested position. Like, I don't, I don't understand where, am I just a sucker? Is that it? Well, you know, where's this, where's this disconnect? Yeah. I, I so, don't know. I think it's some has something to do with, uh, just, I'm not going to say much, but I think it has something to do with central banking or something. I don't know. They, they all that money they print out pops up the corporations, but I'm no economist. So I, I would, she's got to find out more about that from somebody else. But I do, I honestly do think, no, I honestly do think a big fan of the, I was, you know, cheering there. I, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the PBs, the petty bourgeois. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think I, I like business. I like small businesses. I like investing money and getting profits. I love the profit motive, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the, that, you know, I mean, capitalism. Let's just let's just put aside some of my other concerns with capitalism. Actually, that I haven't been really qualified to even share on the show yet. But I'm I'm pretty much pro all that in in the in the basic sense. You know, um, I I love to see the small business owner and how he kind of um, responds. Because I think people in a in in a market driven, you know, basically quote unquote capitalist society, um, you know, absent a lot of other kind of interventions and bigger bigger things that that go on um tend to do great they tend to be like generous charitable and that's you know treat the work treat your workers well which was a totally self-interested like basically decision i mean that's totally like what what you always taught me that that would that's a market decision right there that's that's purely a market decision and even 
helping out somebody that's down on the luck is basically, I mean, by I think your definition of market decisions. So I, I, I you know, I, I think that I think there are bigger forces, much bigger societal forces than the than the at the uh local or community or whatever level that or the basic just the basics you know uh what's the word um skin deep level that uh kind of push a lot of these things and i think central banking is a very large part of all of it yeah i want to play off of that a little bit in that i think a lot of these businesses especially really long-running ones even families of wealth and all this like uh i think i mean they're they're there are sociopaths in the world for sure. Ellen, would you agree with that? Yeah. 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 Uh, so, so there are, there are like kind of almost born assholes out there for sure. Um, and you know, uh, uh, power attracts the corruptible. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I, I do think a lot of these, again, a lot of these older companies and a lot of these, like there is, there have been loans taken out a hundred years ago or more that still have to get paid off. Right. So they have to keep making money and, you know, honestly, to like just pay off the debt of the previous generation or whatever else. There's that. But there's a second part as well that I think is, you know, wait, why aren't these people just treating others better? I think there is a gamble being played right now. And one of the best examples of this was by really one of the wealthiest people out there right now and someone who has invested in a lot of the tech companies that have um, invaded or I'm sorry, integrated into our lives. Uh, and that being a guy named Mark Andreessen of the uh, venture capital firm, Andreessen Horowitz. Now, I'm not saying that Mark Andreessen is some great evil or some grand evil person. Um, there, there are some rich people I'd probably argue that for. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that, but he is very honest and open. And he wrote a uh, in, a kind of a manifesto uh, in back in September of 2023, where he was basically saying, look, government and everybody else, get over it, get rid of all of the legislation that's in the way of technological development, you know, and everybody, yep, you're basically, you're all part of a gigantic experiment. Um, and and what we're, what we're, this experiment, what we're trying to do is, is we are trying to get to utopia. It might be 100 years from now, it might be 200 years from now, but think about your future generations and you going through, speaking to the, you know, people like, quote unquote, us, you people having to deal with getting irradiated or having to deal with, uh, you know, technology that's fucking with your head and depressing you, maybe even making you off yourself. You know, you people having to do all of this, putting up with all of this, look, you're going to make a paradise for future generations. Um, I mean, he's basically making the old argument of, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs and we're the eggs. And while he was honest about it, I think, that's what a lot of people think. They have this long-termism. Uh, in fact, there's a term for it. It's called Tesquial. Uh, and that, that's kind of an acronym, and I can't even think of what all the terms mean. But the concept is Tesquial. And that is that a lot, even like Jeff Bezos, you go down the list of these billionaires. And again, they're, they're mostly pretty open about it. They are thinking super long-term and that we have to go through this, this, this these quote-unquote growing pains to get to that point. So I bring this up to say that, you know, like SEC, how do they not see what you see and that you want to treat your people better? Because for them, it's not about people today. For them, it's about people 100, 200 uh, years from now, or even 10,000 years from now. 
you know, Jeff Bezos famously built that clock, clock out in the middle of nowhere that is basically doing a 10,000 year countdown. And everybody's like, what the fuck is it counting down to? You know, but this is all part of that, again, test real where they're thinking very long term. Uh, they do want what's best for, for everybody, perhaps, perhaps. And they think that, you know, people today having to deal with a ton of shit is worth it. Um, I would argue, no, it's not. But I think that that might be hinting at how do they not see this? How do they not want to be generous? Why are they shoring up all this money? Uh, that, I don't know, that to me, that speaks to me as far as, you know, what their reasoning is. And that's all. And honestly, maybe that's being a little optimist because, you know, most people would just come out with an Alex Jones flag and saying, oh, it's the NWO, you know, uh, like they, they just want to control everything, blah, blah, blah. And maybe they do. But. Um, you know, they are being pretty open of no deal with it now in the future, your future generations, everything's going to be better. I mean, Ellen, do you have anything you want to say on that? Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to answer sex question directly and yeah. say, no, I don't think you're a sucker. I think you're doing the right thing for yourself, your business, your workers. Um, and like one of the things that I feel is not acknowledged today in business that companies would do really good to acknowledge is that money is not the only way to show appreciation to your workers. Like there's, there's plenty of other ways. Like when you say that you go onto a job site and you guys all like do a great job and make extra money and you distribute that amongst your workers, like according to whatever you think they deserve. Um, I think Penguin described that as like generous and in a sense it is, but that also implies a power dynamic. And like, why do you have more power in this situation than everybody else who is working with you? Is it because like you're the one that owns the business, you put in that initial work and then who decides how much extra you deserve because of that? And like if you just escalate that chain of logic to larger companies, say like the one that I work in, um, you know, you have like the CEO and the president and all of the the managers and supervisors. And then you get like the the other little people that actually do the real physical work. And like for some reason, they get paid way less than you know, the people up at the top of the pyramid and, and who gets to decide that, you know, and if, if we were, you know, paid more, that certainly would make people feel better. There'd be a little more loyalty, like fealty to the leaders because, okay, we feel like we're being recognized and seen for how hard we work and how much we put in to actually make the stuff that you guys talk about in your meetings all day happen. Um, but there's, there's other ways to do that too. Like, uh, there's a system, I'm not going to say what it's called, but basically you can recognize colleagues for doing a great job on something. And then, you know, you get rewards. You get to choose for yourself, like what you get in return. Like other in the system, other employees can actually give you certain points. Yeah. And then you can go and like into a store of sorts and you can get things from this. Have I yeah, got it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's actually, it's not even the employer paying you more. It's, it's the employee, it's, it's other fellow employees that are recognizing you. So, and that's not money necessarily. right? Yeah. I mean, you can uh, translate it to that for sure. Yeah. What do you got Penguin? Okay. I don't know. I call me intensely skeptical. Well, first of all, I mean, the person that, uh, you know, especially as somebody who also is like a small business owner, I mean, is a lot of sacrifice and a lot of investment and stuff goes into starting a business. I have no problem with, with, with hierarchies at all. I mean, that's certainly different ways of, of, of 
forming a business. I mean, I think any any way of forming an enterprise, I say like an enterprise or an organization, is is perfectly fine with me. And this that you know that's certainly one of them. You know, the pros and cons exist. They should be able to freely compete. But when it comes to like that kind of thing, I mean, as someone who's just you know worked jobs for a long time and finally got out of that, um, to with some pros and some cons, like hey, uh, they always wanted to recognize you with something other than cash. I take the cash. I take the cash eleven times out of ten. Um, because that's what when you, work, when you work for a lot of companies. When you work for companies, they always try to do that. You say, "Oh, we'll give you a pizza party instead of oh, giving you an extra hundred dollars." Yeah, yeah, pizza party. That's what it's, I, I'm hearing. I'm hearing pizza party. No, I'm hearing we're going to give no. you a, a gift, a, a, a gift certificate for like a, a, a free drink out of the, the cafe. I, you know, when I worked in a place with a Starbucks or whatever. Give your Applebee's um, gift card or whatever the fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some some yeah. cheap thing that they probably got. For, I'm sure they got for a lower than the cash value and everything. So I don't know. Call me skeptical. I take the cash. I hear what you're saying. I guess my point is though that, um, like there's there's something more valuable than than money sometimes, and that is just like having those people who are higher on the hierarchy. Um, acknowledge, recognize, appreciate you, you know, make you feel important as a person, because that's what makes employees really want to stay with the business. I think the money is great, but if you don't feel like you belong, if you don't feel like you're seen and appreciated, you're not going to want to stay for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not like arguing for the company script. I always think yeah. that that's like, that's, that's immediately what I thought of when you're yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. you get oh, points that you can no. spend at the company store. I'm like, oh no, yeah, oh, no, no let's, let's not do that again. <laughs> you can get Amazon bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Even though I would argue that Amazon credit, that is what I've experienced in practice, but yeah, go yeah, ahead. Sorry. I, I, no, I was just going to say, I would argue that Amazon credit is actually the most valuable money on the planet. Um, you're because probably you right about that. You, you yeah. can literally get anything with that. Um, I mean, I, I think it has more value than the U.S. dollar, even though it's based on the U.S. dollar. Um, I've gotten so much shit for this in the cryptocurrency community because I'm like, no, like nothing is more valuable than Amazon credit, like not even Bitcoin. And anyway, that, that's why I've always argued that like uh, Amazon never has to come out with a cryptocurrency. They never have to accept a cryptocurrency because the value of the company within itself, like it, it, it's such a leviathan. You know, it's right there, dude. I hate, I hate how good Amazon is. Yeah, right, right. How, how convenient they are. I really do. I mean, there was a time where I was like, oh man, no, Bezos can't support Bezos. But my God, I mean, they just the amount of things they've integrated into that company. Yeah, well, no, it's true, and and there's important things I think to bring up in this. And one is, you know, th this is this is a company that does not turn a profit, and this is another thing where. Okay, a lot, like I think another reason, kind of starting off with what our or with what our conversation started off with, you know, why are people buying into spirituality and a lot of this other stuff? I mean, I think a lot of people are seeing, either consciously or unconsciously, the writing on the wall. Like, you know, we think about the music industry, right? We all love music as humans. We, it just seems to be something hardwired in us. Um, maybe not all of us, but most of us. Okay, um, you know what? What is the largest platform for music distribution today? The largest platform is Spotify. Spotify, in all of the years of its existence, has never turned a profit. It is blowing away money, and it's been doing so for over a decade. And and, and people people don't understand this. You know, like you think it, it's so funny because they're like, oh yeah, I hate Spotify because the artists aren't getting paid and all this stuff. It's like Spotify is not getting paid. <laughs> like they're they're not they they cannot turn a profit. Now, Amazon was a very similar situation, and I think a lot of companies expect to end up like Amazon 
because Amazon didn't turn a profit until 20, after 20 years in business. Um, it, and it, it was, was shortly hard. after they started getting contracts with the CIA, by the way. Oh, yeah. They yeah, yeah. Really turning a profit. Yeah. Totally, totally. That and that might be a great segue, but, uh, <laughs> but I learned um, from the best, Brian. Thank you. <laughs> but but this is the thing, you know. I don't think people understand this. That all this stuff that they think, oh, this has gotten so much cheaper, all oh, this is so convenient, this is so much better. These are models that don't make money. You know, like I mean, they don't turn a profit. And sooner or later, something has to happen, like or something has to break, or it does end up getting, uh, you know pushed on to, it trickles down, not in paying you more, but it trickles down in taking more from you, uh, you know, as a consumer and, and, and so on. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll end my, oh, no, no. Okay. One last thing I want to get in is, you know, this idea of hierarchies in business. I don't think we've, we've had enough experimentation um, in business. For, for example, in fact, it's an interesting thing. I'm just going to end off with this tidbit. And if we want to move on to the CIA, we can. Um, one of my favorite companies to talk about is called Valve. Valve is a, a, a video game company. They ended up creating a huge digital distribution service for games, for video games called Steam. Most people know about that. And Valve has no internal hierarchy. Like there's the head guy or people who consider the head guy Gabe Newell, but he's really just a mouthpiece. He did start the company, but that's, in his opinion, that's basically all he did. Now, the interesting thing about this, and the reason I bring it up, A, is they're wildly successful. I mean, they just print money by the day, basically. B, um, they they have almost no innovation whatsoever. Like, they are, in fact, the gamers complain about this. They're completely stagnant. Now, you could say that that's a problem, but interestingly... It's, it's not like they're still making a ton of money, you know, still making a ton of money. Um, now, you could say that like the, the, the game developers that, that put their games on Steam, they're the ones that are doing the innovating. But it's an interesting point that if you do remove hierarchies, and I'm not saying necessarily that you don't have that, that you shouldn't have hierarchies in business or anything. I'm not necessarily going that direction. But again, we have we have very few companies we can point to like Valve where they're a wild success. In fact, they're the biggest at what they do, um, you know, with millions and millions and millions of users. Uh, and the byproduct of, and it's arguable that the byproduct of their infrastructure is that they don't innovate past perfection, that maybe they hit perfection. Because what are people asking them to add in? They don't know. They just want some kind of change. You know, they don't even know what it is. Um, so it's it's an interesting, I, I think, looking at just as a contrast in business, looking at Amazon and looking at Steam, two very successful companies run completely differently. Um, and one being a complete oddball within the capitalist infrastructure we live in, and certainly in the West. Um, I, I, I think there's 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 things to expand on and to study within that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I don't see a lot of ANCAPs doing that, but I, I wish they would. Anyway, we, we can move on to other things uh, yeah. if you want. I think it'd be, I just want to add on that I think it would be, it's totally depressing to me to imagine myself in the position of someone who makes like a great product and a profitable product too. And then just have and some investors over my, sh I mean, I, I've thought this, I've thought this about working for a company that's had like a board and everything, but I can't imagine, I can't imagine making a product and, and, you know, kind of just going from like business fundamentals, just like business fundamentals, like basic things, you know, 
quality control and, and, and uh, ret retaining good employees and managers and blah, 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 and really caring about the product. You know, you, you started it from the smallest thing and it's become, for whatever reason, wildly successful. And you've really put like decades of your life into it, let's say. Let's say it's like a family owned business or whatever. And they, you, mm -hmm. Whatever. It goes public or whatever the thing is. And then all of a sudden, that you have to have like people breathing over your neck saying innovate innovate do something new do something new do something new and you because i guess you i guess i don't know i guess you can see with a lot of businesses they're always just trying to, to, to do something new throw some shit at the wall because they they're required to um and I, I think that is you're right i i just viscerally think that is kind of I don't know, depressing or kind of you know yeah yeah shocking. and it's it's interesting right that's a great example valve yeah yeah, it's interesting that again they don't have to do that, and yet they still have they still make money by the day. I mean, millions by the day. Uh, it, it, yeah, great, uh, great product. Yeah, yeah. All right, do we want to talk about drugs? Do we, well, <laughs> well, okay. I, think, I was just going to say I think we solved all the world's problems. But yeah. if anybody else has more to add, feel free. Otherwise, we can go on to something else. I don't know that we solved anything. <laughs> well, hey, listen, I solved it in my own mind. So that's yeah, all that's I right. need. <laughs> okay. Real quick before we go on to something else. I, yeah. I, okay. So for our audience and for you guys in our discord, we have a pl uh, channel where you can post questions for the hosts. And, and let me just tell you, let me just show you the caliber of our audience that they're, they're really asking, you know, the, the real questions okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna read you guys a question from our questions for the hosts and it is oatmeal grits or cream of wheat which do you guys prefer <laughs> you have the most brilliant audience man from a, from a flavor perspective i would say cream of wheat but okay from like right. a dietary health perspective oatmeal okay all right yeah no I'm, I'm oatmeal all the way um, oatmeal gang all right, all right. yeah just Third because one? i mean it, it's really it, it's it's such a such a protein packed affair um and anyway go ahead penguin yeah oatmeal supremacy okay i get it all right. yeah <laughs> okay we're two oatmeal two oatmeal penguin oh, he's muted. muted and he's gone what do you um, have uh i'm not a fan of any of them but i would pick oatmeal out of those three I used yeah, to yeah. occasionally enjoy oatmeal, but it's got to not just that plain stuff. It's got to have some kind of flavor. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Dress it up a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, when I have oatmeal, like I am putting so much peanut butter in it. Like, I mean, I'm just tossing peanut butter. It. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Yeah. That, that, that makes it for me. Actually, Ellen, tell people about Tef. Oh yeah. Okay. So I was going to say we have our own recipe for oatmeal and it includes like blueberries and chia seeds and cinnamon it's really tasty and walnuts. Yeah. Um, but teff is an alternative grain. It's it's really, really tiny. Um, I guess the name actually comes from the fact that it's so small. It's like grains of sand. Uh, but it's delicious. It's got this savory flavor, low in gluten, so I can eat it. Mm -hmm. um, and it sources from Africa. Right. But it's it's really good, great alternative breakfast cereal if you ever want to give it a try yeah great alternative to oatmeal mm -hmm. it's basically what we've switched to so tef that's a thing t-e-f-f yeah. yeah penguin are you you back with with us i mean regardless it's oatmeal gang and you know you're, you're... <laughs> i'm here i'm here my bad yeah I have, no it's I, all right I did are you, are you gonna go against the grain 
I had a uh, I had no I had boo this man. That's terrible. <laughs> you should boo me for that. That's terrible. All right, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Penguin. You, I'm grits. sorry. I I just stepped away. What? Oatmeal grits or cream of wheat? Oh man. Oh man. Um. Asking the real questions. I think I I think uh, I, I'm a fan of oatmeal because you can get it like everywhere, right? Yeah. yeah. You can get yeah. fruit in it. Yeah, but. And, and grits can be good too. Like I think I would eat them sweet, although never had them the it- Italian way. Um, which I don't know. I I, just, I need to start cooking them, but um, that's a whole nother story. They call it. No. Whoops. Meeting myself. Uh, no. Anyways, I think you, you you're gonna hear me. Cream of wheat. Uh, yeah. I, I gotta say, I I really have a, a strong affection for cream of wheat. Growing up as a kid, I I really like that stuff. So you're you're going with cream of wheat. Is that your choice? Yeah, I, I do think. Yeah, I think cream was oh, my favorite. I've okay. actually had, you know, I honestly I've had cream. I've had um, a like North Indian kind of Pakistani version of that too, um, where, where it's kind of more in, congealed to a fudge. Now that I think about it, but I've had it the other the, the porridge way too, and I, I do like it. I do like it a lot. It's a great like cereal before there was like modern cereals too. Um, but I've had it where it's where it's done like more like a fudge and it's really sweet. Uh, with like little nuts and stuff in it, that's delicious too. I'm not a bi- I'm just not a big fan of like the texture of like any of those things. That yeah, same doesn't do it for me. Yeah, yeah. But okay. Um, wait, do you so like, do you now like, that we've do you like, oh, wait, do you like crunchy stuff? I, I mean, <laughs> yes. What do you mean? I like soft. I like this. I don't know. I, I mean, you say you don't like the texture of that stuff. I, I, I do. I like soft. I like soft stuff. I'm, I'm a weird guy. I like soft, chewy stuff. So, I mean, I like soft, chewy. I just don't like that. Like, I don't know. Like, gruel kind of. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, I'm not. It's like you're it, swallowing actually. cum or something. I don't know. Wait, I, I don't. I would not know that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but it's like mashed potatoes. It's like mashed potatoes. Yeah, it's really see, mashed potatoes is the line though. It's because oh, yeah, mashed yeah. potatoes is a little bit thicker and it can be a little chunky, you know. Like, yeah, but it's something about mm-hmm. that really fine like slop. I'm just not a fan. Yeah. Well, if if you get the steel cut oats and not like the quick cook ones, those are much firmer and bigger and chunkier. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. You can cook all, all these things in that. different ways. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, with mashed potatoes, yeah. I will no, swallow the gravy. I, I will. It's anyway, or, yeah. All right, let's. Are we going to talk about drugs? Are we? Gonna... Who, knew, uh, who knew that the uh, the the oatmeal conversation would go this direction? But... I prefer steel cut. Okay, all right. I don't know what that means, but all right. Cut from steel. Oh, cut from steel. Oh, I like that. All right, yeah. that's good. Art is iron. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So, drugs. So, I think this is actually possibly related to our previous conversation about like uh, nature and spirituality and such, mm-hmm. because I think there's simultaneously, like, uh, I don't know if it's a resurgence or something, because they've always been there, but there's a uh, growing popularity in, in the use of psychedelics and it's turning it into like a weird commodity fucking business thing. But, um, so th- this is becoming more and more popular now, just from listening to the two of you, I'm going to venture to, s- and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's my understanding that Brian, you're not a giant fan of drugs. 
Ellen, you might have dabbled uh, a little bit here uh, years ago. Oh, you can correct him, Ellen. If yeah, you yeah. Correct so me. Brian is not a fan of drugs at all, and I am. Is that what or at I least said? I was in the past. Well, I'm just gonna say, like you said, dabbled. Oh yeah, uh, I did a lot of drugs. Ellen's done a lot of drugs. Okay. I stopped <laughs> when I started college because you can't really be an engineer and continue with that. But, I mean, yeah. not with that attitude. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so right. myself also, I've done a lot of a lot of drugs, a lot of drugs, mostly like psychedelics and party drugs. Okay, uh, a little bit of cocaine and stuff, a lot of cannabis, and the, the uh, what else? I think that's about it. A lot of ecstasy, a lot of, uh, you know, psychedelics and psilocybin, some ketamine, that kind of stuff, which is why I can't remember a fucking thing. <laughs> so, um, actually, I was just having this conversation the other day. I'm like, it might not be the drugs. I also took, like, a number of hits in the head when I was younger, too. So, oh, probably, yeah, it might, it might be that, actually, over the drugs, because I don't really do drugs. Well, what is fucking drugs? Yeah, I don't right. do what they call food and caffeine is and is an is a drug as well. Well, I don't do what they call you know illicit drugs very you know very much now. I, I dabble sometimes. I'll take some a little bit of cannabis oil if I can't sleep. Mm -hmm. But I there was a time when okay, so when I was like uh, fifteen or sixteen, I thought that if I took enough psilocybin regularly that I would be able to transcend my physical body and become a ball of pure energy. You were tripping way too much. Why? That's what I'm <laughs> Thank you. I was taking way too fucking much and that didn't happen. But I used to make the joke like, Oh, I didn't become a ball of pure energy, but I can never remember where the fuck I put my keys. <laughs> so there is that I got that going for me. So anyway, uh, um, yeah, I took way too fucking much, way too much, way too much. But um, here's the thing. Brian, I, I know you're not a fan of these sorts of things, but I never I know some people might think that you're being like sort of judgmental against side to check it out. I never got that vibe from you. It just seemed like it was just not your jam, you know? Right. But what what role do you think psychedelics has in? Um, I don't know. Sp you know spiritual growth or even mental health you know sort of growth the shadow work i mean i remember you know back in the day you know dr drugs really helped me a lot like i had some it caused me some problems sure but it helped me through some fucking shit uh years ago so i guess you know it it, it was you know worth it uh, in some sense like uh drugs were uh, somewhat of a success story you know mm -hmm. and i learned a lot about <laughs> i learned a lot about how to start a business really young from selling drugs when i was a teenager so uh and, but it, it helped me with like i mean if you want to uh you know do some shadow work it, you know mushrooms are gonna fucking they're gonna do it you're gonna do it whether you like it or not if you take you know some mushrooms in the in certain states of mind but i'm rambling but what what um what role if any do you think psychedelics or drugs uh more broadly have in uh you know human liberation or um mental health growth or spiritual mm -hmm. growth anything of the sort if any 
Sure. So I am fully confident in saying that psychedelics have been a part of religion uh, at the very least. You know, and, and I would put a differentiation slightly between spirituality and religion. Um, just that religion would be something more organized. Spirituality would be something more individually explored and expressed. Um, it's, it's always been a part of it. It's always been there uh, for good or ill, you know, and it, it's like anything else, right? Like it depends on the, where the person takes it more so perhaps than, than the thing itself being a, you know, having a judgment of good or bad. Um, you're totally right. I don't judge anybody for it. I'm fully supportive of it. You're, well, I want fully supportive might be strong, but like I'm fully supportive of people doing whatever the hell they want, bottom line. Um, I think that there have been many occasions where, and you can read this, where even uh, quote unquote prophets or shall we say spiritual leaders, gurus, whatever, and I'm talking about ancient ones, where they would talk about going to a cave a lot of times and that they were right in the cave. Um, I think that was them inadvertently huffing cave gases, you know, to where they had a psychedelic experience. Um, they just didn't know it, you know, so even if they didn't realize it or, you know, understand what was going on, um, they still had these experiences, again, inadvertently. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is, and, and well, let me also say, it really can be helpful. I have heard the countless stories, I'm going to let Ellen take this, you know, where these, you know, psychedelics have been uh, very liberating for the individual. Um, I might have concerns more when it goes outside of the individual and it becomes more of a mass thing. I, I, I that, that, that can get kind of, I think kind of strange, uh, but maybe not. Um, but I, I firmly believe that it can be a very helpful thing. Uh, it, however, I caveat that with, it's not a necessary thing. Um, and I would also add in that I think the, you know, if there is some kind of grand benefit from it, that it's it's something that one should be able to integrate through their life. Uh, I don't, maybe not all the time, but more of the time. I, I don't know if I'm explaining that super well, but Ellen, I mean, you have, so like you said, you don't really dabble much anymore. Um, but you had an incredible positive experience with psychedelics. Do you want to share? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I can talk about that some. Um, so when I was younger, I went through like, you know, a lot of trauma in my childhood. Uh, even my first relationship was really traumatic and abusive. Um, you know, I was like 19 years old coming out of all this like war of shit. And I was completely like emotionally inept. I did MDMA for the first time and it felt like it advanced my emotional awareness and like emotional intelligence by years, just in, in one night of, of doing MDMA with a friend in a quiet setting where we could just talk. It was like therapy on speed you know like i i just grew in advance so much in that one night can, and can, or go ahead and i feel like that's just kind of the pattern every time i did something psychedelic uh like mdma acid mushrooms m the majority of the time i had personal breakthroughs that like i just would not have pushed myself to make in my everyday life without those substances yeah so i want to add in if you don't mind me sharing, 
um, about, you know, kind of about you. I, it won't be anything personal necessarily, but you know, before you did MDMA, you would say you kind of walked, you were like this really hyper logical, almost a Rand bot, right? Like, sure, and, yeah. and, and, you know, not like really emotionally in touch, um, which is very hard, I think, for most people to believe when they know you, uh, <laughs> because you're, you're so, you know, so open and, and, uh, uh, so empathetic and, and all of those Well, I things. didn't have that real sense of empathy before. Right, exactly, which is a key thing, you know, I think, to, to connecting with other humans, you know, and, and, and having real happiness. Or should, should I say I had that sense of empathy, but it had kind of been, like, beaten to the background? Yeah, which happens, to sadly, to many children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure, you know, many young people. Um, and so, you know, but then you had that one night, you took NBMA, and suddenly, boom, and it's almost like the emotional floodgates opened on you. If I, am I describing this accurately? Yeah, pretty much. I felt like a great sense of relief of just being able to talk about these things, which up until that point had kind of been like just shoved down in my psyche. Right, right. And during that time period, like I was smoking a lot of weed too. Like marijuana was almost a daily thing for me for a few years. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that actually emotionally hindered me more than anything. Interesting. Like, it, it certainly helped to calm me down in some respects, but it was it leading me to stagnate in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt a lot better when I dropped that. I still take CBD. That's like the non-psychedelic component of, of marijuana or the hemp plant, technically. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I think the THC component of weed was really uh, making me like spiral into depression. So I want to go back to that, but real quick. So that breakthrough, do you think that would have happened without MDMA? Could it have happened without MDMA? It's hard to say. I mean, mm -hmm. if we look back through history and say like, well, what if, you know, who knows what could have happened, but mm -hmm. probably not. Probably not. Powerful. Zach, you, you got any questions on this? Like on uh, also was on the, uh, like the, the depressive aspects perhaps of marijuana. I thought that was interesting. What do you got? Um, so when you say, okay, so I used to be a huge pothead too, and then I quit for a long time and then I, I've tried it, uh, a little bit, uh, here and there and you know, the past few years maybe, and I don't like it now and I don't know what that is. Interesting. Um, but for same for me, it's it's not a depressive thing for me. I have a problem with overthinking. My brain won't shut <laughs> up. Yes, same. So when I but so it used to be that the the weed would sort of quiet that. You know, I could fucking relax. But now it just it cranks that up to eleven, and my brain won't shut the like. If I smoke a little bit of weed, my brain really I like like I can't sleep. My brain will not shut off. It just goes into overdrive. And it's not really like a lot of people get paranoia or anxiety or, or from it. It's not really, I'm not anxious. My brain just won't, sh won't shut up. It won't keep, it just goes into like, it's like a fucking circus in there. So I can't, I can't do cannabis for that reason. I do notice that if I take like a little bit of drop of oil, I don't really get high, but it, it, it lets me, it, it assists in my sleep. Uh, or in going to sleep, which I have trouble with sometimes. Uh, but other than anything, any, any more than that, and it's not good for me mentally now, uh, like it was. Uh, is that something similar to what you got going on, Ellen? 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, it did make mm. me overthink a lot, but I, I mm. think it also led me to being lazy in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, that, that calmness, that quiet, it was every day. So I wasn't thinking about things in the right frame of mind. Um, and I think I was starting to act in ways that were kind of destructive. Um, so that's part of the reason that I gave it up as well, because it was not beneficial for my personal development. That's interesting. Um, I mean, a lot of, you know, my friends who are, you know, other friends who have, I've talked to about it. Some of these people are like, I guess what you would call either high powered or high stress individuals. And they will always describe taking weed as just like taking the edge off. And basically they feel, I, I mean, when I hear them talk about it, that's I feel, what CBD does for yeah, me. Right. Okay. Yeah. So what, like when I hear them talk about it, I feel like they're saying, yeah, I'm in this rat race. I can't get off the, I can't get off the wheel. And so I just need something to like, turn me, turn my brain off for a little while or I don't know, whatever it is, you know, relax them for, for a little while. But like when I hear that myself, I feel like, you know, the drug shouldn't be necessary, right? Like, yeah, like the problem is pushing yourself so hard that you need uppers and downers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Function. Right, exactly. And and so, um, you know, and, and again, these are from. I mean, and these are good people. Like, they're genuinely good people. Um, it, it's it's just interesting. Like, I don't feel like the negative conversation, perhaps. And and I don't, if I'm saying this, if I'm over over speaking this or overstating this as being negative. But like the, the kind of the downsides of marijuana, I don't hear this conversation much. So I'm intrigued by that. Um, does anyone have something they want to add? Penguin, what do you got? No. Okay. Um, no, sorry. I, I was unmuted yeah. and I muted myself. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I, I think that, I mean, I had similar experiences in the past when I, when I, when I dabbled around with things. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting that you're kind of sharing these uh, these anecdotes, these kind of experiences, I'm trying to think of a different word than experiences, but like these, these things you've noticed over, over different periods of time. Uh, but yeah, I think anything that we can, I mean, I've always been an advocate of, well, I'll start with saying that I'm not in favor of, you know, most, what would you would call recreationally, like strictly recreational drug use. And, um, but like within that, I mean, plain and simple, I'm not for it at all, but I'm, you know, I'm very, open to interpreting that very loosely if that makes any sense and i think that's different than saying that i just very loosely think that i'm against recreational drug use like i like i i do think that any kind of benefit you can get out of um consuming any sorts of uh, you know naturally occurring and naturally occurring substances is is defensible or potentially or generally just defensible i mean you can make bad decisions people can make way the pros and cons of something poorly and, and, and all the time that's fine but like yeah any, anything anytime you can get or even extract um some useful substances like for example i mean famously with cbd and and, and and thc where people you know don't i mean regardless of what you think about thc it's like you don't always want the effects of of dosing with thc but you might want the effects of cbd and we, we've been able to study that over time maybe at a slower rate than what otherwise might would have happened and to isolate the the, the effects of cbd and um I, I think that's pretty easily understood because of the receptors and whatnot i'm not i'm really no um expert there but uh, even i know somebody who has 
ended up making a career off of using psychedelics for like a, some sort of psycho for some sort of therapeutic um Mm-hmm. Uh, purposes. Um, and I don't know much about it. I, I knew a little bit. I, I talked to him about it a long time ago, and he was just started trying to get into the field. And he seemed he seemed to be have become very successful in actually doing that and build a career off of that. Um, so good for that guy. Uh, probably should reconnect with him sometime on that. But um, that's a great idea, and that's fine. And and I, you know, it's not that I think you need um, you you need or don't need state action to uh police that or kind of create a standard around that but i think there should be ethically speaking there should be some sort of standard that these things are powerful and very useful and these things shouldn't be you know they should be gate kept and it doesn't necessarily mean by uh, you know a policing authority or something but i mean i, I think this should be so talk be, about be the, the priesthood for, for, for responsible use yeah um I'm sorry well, oh, one, one, one second on that. Yeah. So the, I agree. I think that make, having all these things be illegal um, obviously creates most of the problems with it because if they could just be more openly studied and some of these are Ibogaine and some others, you know, we're, we're an MDMA even there are certain university programs where they do get studied and certainly around the world, they get studied more openly where they're treated with uh, a little more openness, shall we say. Um, and, you know, that's that's really, you know, the way to solve this or, well, we didn't even talk about what the problem was or if there even is a problem. But I think that's just naturally that's a good thing to have is to just have more knowledge around it. And part of the reason that I think these perhaps these can be used for nefarious means and not just for their potential positives is because the information around them the or the reality around them, the amount of the knowledge around them is either non-existent or controlled by authorities, which could lead us into the CIA. But what, Ellen, what were you going to ask? I, I was asking you to talk more about the priesthood because like Zach's original question was, you know, how is this, how have psychedelic drugs been used in the past? And you recommended a book to me, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, where they talk about psychedelic mushrooms and their um, use and their role in religion for mm-hmm. thousands of years. Um, and those were, in a sense, sort of gatekept by the priesthood. Yes. So, if you, if you would just talk about that a little. Sure. Well, it's it's kind of it, it's uh, uh, no pun intended symptomatic. <laughs> like it, it's the same it's the same thing. You know, it, it's like the government controlling it. Um, yeah. Throughout time, I think there were there was a there were was a priesthood, a very specific train of thought that existed for a very long time that was. Uh, you know, considered the mushroom, this holy plant. And, but these were, it, again, it wasn't knowledge that was spread to everybody. It was only kept by this uh, specific priesthood and generally, you know, and, and used by it. Um, and it was how they were able to achieve a godlike consciousness. Yes. Yes. This is, yeah, this is true. Um, so there's a, yeah, it's Mushroom in the Cross. It's a book by John Allegro. It's a very controversial book. Um, but it's not controversial for the reasons people think it's controversial. It's controversial uh, more because it said Jesus didn't exist. The rest of the history explored in the book is not controversial. Like, it's actually very good. I mean, he plays fast and loose with interpretations of some words, but by and large, it's a phenomenal read, and, and you do see this train of thought of kind of a secret priesthood that existed through many religions, not just Judaism or Christianity. 
that engaged in the use of yeah of of, of mushrooms. Um, and they were they would prepare before they took these mushrooms. They had this whole ceremony that they would go through where there was fasting yes. and they would eat certain foods and drink certain liquids and for the most potent effect yeah they would be prepared to engage with that god consciousness yes yeah uh, yeah this was considered the way to become you know or, or this is um uh you know apotheosis right this was the way to connect with god or even to the source yeah. yeah to the source to become it um yeah, I mean that that's that's there, and in fact, it's so there. I don't think it's arguable. Like, you know, and 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 even the greatest within not just Christianity, I think it's inarguable. But even the greatest within Judaism, uh, Rabbi Akiva, arguably the greatest rabbi ever. You know, two thousand years ago, uh, it seems pretty clear that. But his story ends in tragedy that he consumed it, went and joined the Bar Kokhba revolt against the against the Roman Empire and died and but they talk about and there's even other points within the tanakh where they talk about like these warriors who could kill 400 people you know like in in one war in one battle it's like how the hell did that happen you know and and we have historical records of what the bar kokhba revolt was like and you know they talked they said that the jews fought like madmen you know and they and they, they they killed lots of romans they i mean they weren't going to win but they certainly weren't really they weren't losing comparatively either in this sense, and that came down to the fact they were taking psychedelics and they basically were super soldiers from it. You know, they were madmen. Like they didn't care about their life and they were just hacking away, you know, going nuts. And uh, and and clearly there was there was historical precedent even before that for for that. Um, do, do you have a, a sorry? Do, do you have a question on that? No, I I just wanted to hear you talk about yeah. the priesthood a little bit and how they kept the the psychedelics yeah yeah or so used it to their advantage used even. it to their advantage yeah i mean and they, and they really and, and they did i mean i would argue i think i think akiva lost his mind in more ways than one you know sure he went and he thought somebody you know this 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 certain person at the time was the messiah it wasn't jesus it's a different character um and <laughs> i could argue that i think psychedelics duped him you know like made him think something that he normally is is perhaps I, I don't like to use this term, but I'll say it, his rational mind or his mind at rest. How about that? Uh, it caused him to, you know, to engage in that. It caused him to go to war when he should know better. He was the greatest of, of mystics in his day. Um, yeah, that's something really fascinating about psychedelics is that they can convince you of that certain things are true, that in a normal state of mind, you wouldn't believe it all. You know, like sex saying that he thought he was going to turn into a ball of energy. Like, yeah. Yeah, that seems pretty convincing. Or there were times where I genuinely believed I had telepathic abilities. Sure. But there's no proof of that whatsoever. So, quick, let me, quick anecdote. Yeah. Several times, several, I mean, maybe half a dozen, maybe a dozen times, there have been a group of us and we were convinced ourselves that we were speaking uh, telepathically. Mm -hmm. we, were on, we were on mushrooms. And... Or, yeah, probably mushrooms. And um, here's the problem with this sort of thing: is were you were we just talking out loud and we didn't realize that like our mouths right. were moving, <laughs> 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 or like we kind of forgot that noise was coming out of our mouth? I don't know. Or were we really fucking uh, communicating telepathically? And you know the fucking 
the psychedelics uh, open up some part of our brain. I don't know. Um, you, that's the problem is you don't really know when you're just kids having fun, you know, like uh, without some sort of outside observer, you have you have no idea. Yeah. Um, but there's yeah. been a lot of weird things like that that have happened that, you know, you can chalk up to, oh, you're we were just tripping balls, but uh, or, you know, maybe it was something else. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, if, if I could, if, I'll take a quick roundtable here on this and just a quick yes or no. Um, I mean, and I'll start off just so everybody else can feel comfortable. Um, uh, I want to ask, you know, do you believe that telepathy uh, and, or psionic abilities, you know, are possible, like that humans do have those? I'll answer quickly with yes, I think that is possible. And it doesn't have to be drugs or not, just a yes or no. Ellen, what do you think? Telepathy possible? Yes, I think it's possible. Okay. Sec? Yes, I think it's possible. Penguin, you want to you want to you want to stick your neck out on this one? Um, pass. I don't want to. Yeah, one way or another. Yeah, I don't want to. I, I don't want to stick my. Yeah, I don't want to stick my head out one way or another. Right. That one could That's be. Right. Could be. <laughs> Great. Okay. I love the pass. It's not a definite no. Yeah. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> All right. Got oh, it. for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, so so right. So it's possible that it awakened the, those latent abilities, perhaps. Um, or like Sex said, it was, you know, maybe they, they just didn't realize that they were all really talking verbally, you know, that they, they sound waves were being produced. Um, and I'll just end off on the Akiva, on the Rabbi Akiva point here, just with, with somewhat of a, I guess, what could be considered a positive in that, so Rabbi Akiva couldn't really read he never read Torah. He didn't do any of that stuff until he turned until he was older than 40. He, he, I mean, he was just he was just a guy who just farmed whatever, just did his shit and was nobody. You know, but how does somebody who's a nobody at 40 suddenly turn into the what's considered the greatest rabbi in history? I think there's a very good chance that he got into the mushroom cult fast somehow. And maybe it's because his wife was wealthy, which she was, which is why he was able to go off and learn Torah when he wanted to. Um, so he had the, you know, he had the kind of the means he was part of perhaps, you know, the upper echelons as it were, even though he was such a simple person. And then in, inside of a year, suddenly he's the most quoted rabbi in history. Um, and that could be due to, you know, uh, uh, psychedelics breaking through all of those walls and advancing him that quickly. So I'm open to that, right. That, that it was actually in some way, it was a positive thing for him. Um, and, but I would, I would, argue again that it ended very bad and it's because he took it too far so like maybe it can be a good starting off point but it's not the end game it's not it's not something to continue uh rocking with in fact i could even believe a scenario a conspiracy where uh the romans even would have introduced psychedelics would have had some idea of it and drove the the rebellious jews nuts you know and like an injected uh you know drugs into this community that after sounds a, a lot like the cia well right it sounds but, a lot like that yeah it's it's a very old playbook and we know i mean in my opinion the jews had or i mean the romans had been trying to quash the the the, the pesky jews for centuries for, for for a very long time i mean there's great books like creating christ where the argument is that caesar created the Christian religion, like that Jesus never really never existed and that he created this religion and he created it to pacify Jewish rebels. 
Um, and so, you know, it, maybe it was just the, 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 the quote unquote logical conclusion of their extension of that. It's like, okay, yep, we've pacified them, but damn it, they're still being rebellious. Time to give them the drugs. And the funny thing is today we have modern corollary, right? Like we have the CIA, I think we know, has done this sort of thing. Um, it, it, and, and there's the book that you read recently, Ellen, and that I read long ago, uh, Drugs as Weapons Against Us by, by John Potash, where he very much argues that um, the CIA has used psychedelics, marijuana, all kinds of drugs to quell uh, rebellions, even peaceful ones, ones that aren't even, you know, ones that just ones that just are a danger to the status quo in whatever way that they are a danger. Um, would you say that this occurred, Ellen? Yeah, I think there's plenty of proof that like the CIA and FBI have done this. I mean, obviously, the most talked about scenario is MK Ultra, um, but there's mm -hmm. plenty of others. You know, like the the government use of psychedelics has gone back. You know, even before the '60s, um, and continuing on uh, all the way into modern history, mm -hmm. and it's. I think there's just a lot of money and effort concentrated on studying, like how do people's brains change when they're using these psychedelics? And the purpose of that study was not so that people could have these, this like emotional catharsis or breakthroughs on mm -hmm. a personal level. It was so that they could manipulate people. Right. Because, you know, people are much easier to manipulate when they are in an altered state of consciousness. Right. Sec, what do you got? So we, we talked about this on a Sovereign Tech X episode, and I know, Sec, you, you, you had questions. <laughs> well, no, it's um, – well, I, I will just say I I am in the drug war on the side of drugs mostly. <laughs> um, <laughs> right on. Yes. So when we were young trippers – this was already common knowledge that the CIA had been flooding, you know, hate Ashbury and uh, dead shows. And I mean, Ken mm -hmm. Kesey wrote about how he knew all of his acid was coming from the CIA. And they're just like, well, that's fucking weird. I guess we'll take it, though. You know, so. <laughs> so, I mean, this was pretty common knowledge amongst like. um I don't know, a certain variety of like uh, counterculture, us as kids, you know, like tri tripping balls, but we're, you know, I, I, we're into like uh, various weird fringe topics and conspiracy. And this was pretty, pretty well known. But so the counter argument amongst like psychonauts uh, was that, oh, yeah, the CIA, they thought they could, uh, you know, control people's minds but what they actually accidentally did was they started the peace movement and all these uh various you know fringe countercultures in the 60s by accident and then they really um they really stepped on their own tail there doing that but you know uh they they let a cat out of the bag that they uh they they shouldn't have that works against the CIA's own interest so the older i get and the more I think about these things and, the, you know, after years of um, think, you know, self-reflection also, I'm not entirely sold on that as much as I used to be. I mean, I'm still for 
the use of psychedelics and such, but it's it's possible that the the CIA achieved you know more or less exactly what they were you know looking for. Uh, you know. So I, can I, I ask I, you a question about this? Sure. So, like from your perspective, what happened to the peace movement? Was it a success or a failure? And like, if so, if it if it was a failure. Why do you think that was? So it's a, a common narrative that is accepted is that the Vietnam War was stopped by the peace movement and, you know, uh, protests and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of that, the peace movement came uh, from the counterculture, which was using a lot of psychedelics and cannabis at the time. I used to uh, I used to believe that as well, um, but listen, I was at the protests in Washington D.C. before in the lead up to the Iraq War, and uh, there was millions of people there, probably more than um, there were during the war in Vietnam, uh, and we didn't stop the Iraq War. So I started thinking about what was, uh, you know, what was different. Why, 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 uh, why did the protests stop the Vietnam War, but we couldn't stop the the invasion of Iraq? And the question is, I, I think the the protest and the peace movement was largely irrelevant. Um, I think a lot of the reason the Vietnam War stopped entirely or stopped was just mainly because. Uh, their own troops were sort of mutinying against officers. I mean, there was, you know, uh, people were, soldiers were throwing grenades into their officer's tent because they were like, no, we're, you're not sending us out there to die in this jungle. And I think uh, in order to prevent a much larger, um, what do you call it? Uh, 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 besmirching the, the image of the military, they sort of, dialed back uh, or, or it left Vietnam. And I think that's that and sort of economics was the actual reason for the war in Vietnam. I think the peace movement did very little. Yeah, I would agree um, with that. Yeah. Um, I don't think protesting has uh, at best you can sort of shift things along the, the edges or the fringes marginally, but I don't, I don't think uh, mass protest has much to do with policy. Um, so Agreed. Yeah. it's, it's possible that psychedelics, so like socialist revolutionaries at the time <clears throat> in the fifties and sixties would say that, you know, the peace movement and psychedelics, you know, and the tune in, turn on, dropped out just caused people to be like, uh, you know, kumbaya drum circles when they should have been you know, joining the vanguard and arming for the revolution. And it may turn all these people into like hippie pacifists. And that sort of, uh, that was the, the goal of the CIA was to, to take the teeth out of these people and turn them into, you know, hippies and beads and, and VW buses and, uh, just, you know, stoned out drug users who didn't, who couldn't, who couldn't really accomplish anything. Now, I won't go so far as to say that that's the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. But uh, because I know from personal experience, like just how enlightening psychedelics can be, uh, 
And, uh, you know, I have seen that that I've seen both sides of this, you know, like, so to me, to me, I I think there's more truth to the CIA, uh, being success or, uh, this being the outcome the CIA was going for than not. I'll just, I'll put it that way. Do you have a thought on that, Ellen? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the point of my question, I think was to, you know, tease out like where that landed with USEC. But I, I kind of am of the same opinion that, you know, psychedelics, while they do have these great therapeutic benefits and, you know, it, it's always going to be true. I think with moderation and with adequate dosing, like, yes, they can be very beneficial, but there's also, um, you know, the people who are going to use psychedelics more often or with larger doses, um, you know, people that are just trying to escape reality. And that's what they do. Uh, And they are not able to enact any of their great ideas or whatever, because they're just stoned or, you know, tripping or whatever. Um, And I think that was kind of the CIA's goal with some of, you know, introducing drugs to the market. Let me push back on that a little. Okay. So, now, I, these are conclusions I came that I didn't realize at the time that I came to after self-reflection decades later. Okay, right. So, in the beginning of my okay, I had a very similar journey to, to you. I, I had a lot of childhood trauma. As I lived, I grew up in a very abusive household. I was a very depressed and angry young teenager. So I started dabbling in drugs. Uh, including psychedelics, but other drugs too, um, as as a you know just a party with my friends. And it sure, uh, looking back now, there's a lot of those drugs were used as an escape to numb the you know pain or, or to. But here's the thing, and and then I I sort of like uh, realized that there I got into philosophy and psychology and 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 uh, various other other things, fucking Alan Watts and all this kind of stuff, and. I, so I started using psychedelics more and more. I used to meditate a lot with psychedelics. I used to uh, take a lot of psychedelics and read philosophy. And, and it really helped me think about things in, in different ways. Here's the thing. If people often, and I've, I'm guilty of this myself, it, it, people will tend to del- belittle drug use when used as an escape and and sort of uh, are more proponents of using drugs to uh, enhance your mind or uh, you know work through various mental issues and this. But if if I didn't have those moments like uh, or those nights when you're taking Molly or mushrooms with your friends and you're just having a good time, you know that escape is like what I what i excuse me what i needed personally then was to it gave me that space from my trauma you know to just have connection with humans and and have a good time and laugh you know i hadn't laughed in a long time before then you know and it gave me like escape is sometimes what you need i guess is what i'm saying like Sure, you should do the proper work, and that will come. But sometimes you just need to fucking party. 
and get <laughs> yeah. fucked up. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm saying that totally this agree. this is also good too. Like it's it's not. We shouldn't like the, it's very common now. Now that psych- psychedelics are becoming popular among therapeutics, it's like, well, you should use these in a proper setting, and you know, you should use these only in these positive ways. Well, like, no, sometimes just getting fucked up with your friends is good too. Like, fun is okay. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes what your brain needs is escape and fun and fucking, you know, just getting tripping balls with your friends and laughing until your fucking stomach and your cheeks hurt. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you are just using that as an escape from your trauma, but sometimes you just need a little space between your trauma and fucking you. Do you know what I mean? Like that's also fucking therapy. I'm totally supportive of, you know, taking that time as you need it. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, escaping from the terrible reality that we sometimes live in. Um, I'm just saying, like, I think there there comes a point where escapism does become destructive. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Like you said, you know, you can you can use it for escapism, but then, you know, you still have to support your family or whatever. So (laughs) you can't always be escaping. Sure. Yeah. Um, I know we're going to have to wrap up soon. Um, Mm. So I want to add something in to this in that I love the conversation about the peace movement. Like, I think that was such a salient question to ask because it's kind of the largest scale example we have, I think, of what effects these things have, you know, with psychedelics, whatever else um, that that we can kind of point at historically. Um, And I think a big problem of what actually happened is I don't, I don't know exactly that the psychedelics destroyed that movement, right? I, I, I kind of got the sense that we all agreed that it failed, like the peace movement failed, you know, and, and like the hippies running off, you know, uh, uh, checking out, you know, like it, that, that didn't do anything. Yeah, if, if what's like is true, that like the millions of people protesting the Iraq war didn't stop war, like right. clearly the government just doesn't give a fuck what we think. Yeah, right. Um, so... You know, like as far as, you know, the hippies running off and doing their communes and all this stuff, what I, what I think actually the, what ended up the problem that happened there and what put an end to those, because those might have been, I mean, and there are some that are actually still around, right? We're, we're aware of this. There's the one that like built the boat or whatever. I, I, I can't think of the, the names of a lot of these things. But I think what happened a lot of these within kind of the hippie community was there was this amazing uh, breakthrough, awakening, perhaps we could use that term that was th- through the use of psychedelics that was happening. But the problem was, so, and they would go off and they break off into little communities, which I think is a fine and dandy thing to do. But the problem that would happen is you'd get either the sociopaths or you'd get the more controlling people who would come into that. And after you've had this amazing emotional breakthrough, especially after American culture of the 40s and 50s, which was its own problem. Um, I don't think, I think because people had these emotional breakthroughs, but they didn't actually have the, the knowledge, like the therapeutic knowledge that comes with studying it over a longer term, you know, because it was so flash so quick that it was self-destructive, not necessarily because of the drugs, but because of the individuals that came into these communities, that came into these groups that took advantage of everybody in this new awareness, 
you know, that they weren't prepared to handle. And so I'm bringing this up to suggest that, okay, yes, psychedelics can be helpful, but, you know, like, like Aristarchus said, there's no royal road to geometry. Okay. Like it, it can be a kickstart, but there's still a ton of work that has to get done. Like there, there, for, for, you know, for the individual, um, it's not something that in and of itself is the gateway to grander enlightenment. You know, it, it, it needs more. And, and that more has to be taking the time has to be the long work, you know, on, on the self. Otherwise you're, you know, you, you, you're just, you're a newfound babe and you're just waiting to get taken advantage of whether it's the CIA, just some, you know, controlling asshole that walks in um, or whatever. I mean, does anybody have any thoughts on that? Like I said, I know we got to wrap up here shortly, but yeah, I guess it just comes down to like you have to be the one control in control of your mm -hmm. own mental journey and spiritual journey. You you have you have to be at the helm and be very yes. intentional about what you're doing and know exactly what you're doing. Um, I will say, like, there is definitely can be uh, bad actors that right. also use fucking psychedelics. And just because somebody uses psychedelics doesn't mean they're some sort of like enlightened individual or is emotionally and mentally mature, I guess. Uh, my father is a prime example of that. Like, uh, uh, he was the most manipulative and abusive asshole you could think of. And he did smoke cannabis on a regular basis and dropped acid on a regular basis. And mm -hmm. that did, made it worse. So, like, if you're a manipulative, skeezy person, I think that uh, if you're not doing the um, the self-reflection and you don't have the emotional maturity, uh, psychedelics is going to make that worse. Yeah, and sure. You're going to get sucked into weird, like, cult-like guru situations that where someone else is at the helm and you're not the one driving driving this ship anymore. It has to be you in control of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's a great point to bring up because, I mean, it's just as true. Well, it's true for many things. But, like, it's just like, okay, so somebody's a libertarian. That doesn't mean they're a good person. That doesn't mean they're virtuous. That doesn't mean that they're, you know, uh, uh, okay, great. They recognize that government authority is shit. Wow. You know, like, that doesn't say anything else really about the person at the end of the day. That doesn't keep them from being a dick. That doesn't keep them from being manipulative. It doesn't keep them from all kinds of things. Ellen, what do you? Yeah, I was just going to say, because you can always be selective with how you apply that. Like, yeah, right. oh, yeah, I'm a libertarian. I respect, you know, personal property and privacy and all of these things. But then, you know, still violate this one specific person's personal space or sure. their privacy or, you know, their boundaries or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's something that I think for for sociopaths, it's easy to justify away. Mm hmm. Penguin, what do you got? Yeah, just back to the general discussion of um, the psychedelics and everything. I guess it seemed like I was uh, proposing um, some sort of gatekeeping, and I think that's I think that's appropriate to kind of. Uh, and this is actually not just for psychedelics, but any kind of any kind of substance, um, and, and and stuff with like more physiological effects too, not just like uh, something that could be used. I guess there's different types of recreational usage, a much different experience you can have but the the point being of course i think that there is a more ethical 
um, I'm used to these things. And if you're going to encourage it, you should probably encourage it in, in, in a good way. But that's also like um, to say a more localist, a more localized um, idea of kind of, uh, you know, encouraging a, a good usage. So exactly exactly when it comes to you're not going to create um, large scale legal regimes kind of res- restricting the use or the study of, you know, substances, different substances and kind of creating a regime where you are heavily taxing or whatever, but just kind of that, that locally you create a, a positive um, and really prohibition free environment um, where it's, it's hard and it's hard to see because you, you don't see that necessarily I don't think you can really turn the back the time on like on, on prohibition, but you know one thing that I've always harped on is how you get a lot of substances that are naturally occurring that you know were, were probably were consumed in, in 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 readily available forms for you know quite a long time that are just off the table um, because prohibition is 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 encouraged. Uh, abusive behaviors and, and, and consuming substances very concentrated amounts just because of the nature of prohibition and, and, and concealing something basically that's that's considered illegal that'll put you in jail for having and it's kind of sad because there's a lot of useful things there's a lot of uh, substances and and, and and plants and and, and stuff that could be used i mean I, i'm you're thinking of something like i don't know an example i think of and maybe there's is or isn't better or substitutes for this, but like coca. I mean, people used to chew coca leaves, and it was it was like no thing. And cocaine has a much much different um, idea of it. And sure, there's probably other stimulants out there if you want to go and you want to find some other stimulants. But stimulants are to some extent stimulants, and um, I don't know. I I, I think that pro, pro the idea of prohibition itself kind of warps because it, it tries to create something at a mass scale. Where, whereas I do think that. Um, you see some moves towards um, even, even with cannabis. I, mean, I think people, uh, you know, more using it as an additive. And I don't know where I stand on, you know, ha- you know, heavy use of like edibles and, and, and stuff like that. But uh, you know, like, like I said, a lot of that still comes from prohibition and, and the idea of of, of uh, concentrating, concentrating, and and heavy use and stuff like that whereas you know i think in in the past before there was a concept of of, of that that you would see i guess what's almost been reinvented as microdosing but it's they wouldn't even thought of it that way you know sure sec what do you got i would just say that uh i'm pretty against the gatekeeping Uh, i I welcome the chaos Um, (laughs) democratize everything and let the chips fall where they may, you know, I, I, the, I don't like priest classes, you know, it's just not, <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't like it. Um, but uh, we, if, unless anybody's got something to add, we can wrap up here and we've been going a while. So Ellen, anything else? Good. You're good. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just as far as that question goes, I agree with sec. Right. On. Okay. <laughs> what about right. you? Brian? Well, yeah. Drugs for no. everybody. That's good. Me gatekeeping. Uh, I am I'm pro knowledge, and so just just people being aware. I did like what Penguin say about about local locality. You know, keeping it more local because that allows you to create a system of trust, which is the real way. You know, to 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 well do anything between humans. So is to have a basis of trust. I just I I see 
problems of abuse with like any kind of, I'm not saying you're advocating for this, but any kind of like yeah. gatekeeping, that's, you know, that's a power dynamic there that can easily be abused. It's just, I, that's my fear when, with that sort of thing. So let everybody do what they do their own thing, you know, rather sure. than have priests, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'll definitely say I'm, I'm pro chaos. Uh, so. I am also, okay, good. Pro chaos. <laughs> yeah, I am right. pro chaos overall. Yeah. Chaos agents all around. Um, yes. Well, all right. We'll wrap it up here. Um, Ellen, thank you for coming on. Uh, I appreciated your perspective on this. That was, uh, I think this was a great conversation. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me. Oh, oh, you're welcome anytime. Um, I hopefully everybody can glean something off of this. And honestly, I think you kept it, you kept it less weird. Sorry, uh, you kept Sorry us like that. under under yeah it's all your, i'm blaming you for that um <laughs> you kept I know, us I'm always, uh, like staying on topic i, oh, I know terrible. i know <laughs> jesus that's not very chaotic at all I don't like i'll try to do drugs before i come on next time <laughs> uh, i mean i'll do some drugs before I come on. <laughs> <laughs> um that, We're really going to go into the void. All right. <laughs> <laughs> deep into the void. Yeah, deep. Uh, yeah, we got to, we got to, we'll have some other guests from other dimensions. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, yeah. Telepathically through us. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. Anyway, um, well, everybody listening, be excellent to each other. Thanks again, Brian and Ellen. Um, Pleasure as always, guys. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thanks for coming on. Definitely. Great conversation. Great. Yeah, for, for real, anytime. All right, um, well, peace, everybody, and uh, have yourselves a good rest of your weekend. Peace. Peace. Yep, ciao.